Let's get to it. This is Sebi Podcast. We welcome those of you again inside Studio Z, inside of our broadcast booth, the best in the industry. Uh, I think we've said this before. Michael Gray Sebi on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, stream every Monday and Tuesday, every Monday and Tuesday in the mornings. Here, Mike, um, what's going on, my man? Man, I'm doing good right now, man. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's another weekend of great sports, great like. We're in, the, we're in the best time right now, and I'm just enjoying. We literally, we literally came from the phenomenal March Madness we had straight into the NBA playoffs. Uh, everything that's going on in the sports world, I'm, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? Doing great. We're doing great. A lot of action, um, fun, filled, pack action. Um, you want to go ahead, go ahead and lead us off here. I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. Obviously, <laughs> there's a plethora of stuff in the uh, sports world to talk about. Um, so we'll go ahead and, and start off first. No questions. No no questions, man. We got to start off with the with UVA avenging their uh, first-round loss last season in the tournament to getting all the way to the national championship and, and defeating Texas Tech. And, and it was an amazing it was an amazing run for UVA um, just to see their, their continued will and the, the, pre- the pressure that they put on teams defensively. They continually make teams uncomfortable with their pressure and their length and their athleticism um, on both sides, on, on, on both sides of the basketball. Kyle Guy is an amazing shooter. Jerome, Jerome, Jerome was amazing. Mama D, Diakite inside was absolutely sensational. DeAndre Hunter, I have to give him immense credit. All season long, his defensive, his defensive game has been up, uh, up the task. He's he's one of the top defense, one of one of the top perimeter defenders in college basketball. Um, throughout the tournament, offensively, he was going through so, through a little bit of a slump. But in that national championship game, they do not win that national championship without DeAndre. What he did on the defensive side, guarding Jared Culliver, holding him, holding him to a very very low percentage, and 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 not and not a great shooting like capitalizing off what he did on the offensive side, putting up 20, 27 points and nine, nine rebounds and hitting the game time three to force overtime. It was absolutely amazing. He proved why he's a lottery pick. Uh, Kyle Guy, like I said, was absolutely amazing. We got to give Coach Bennett a lot of credit for keeping these guys uh, motivated and, and throughout throughout the entire season, just continuing the ball out. Uh, I, was, I was impressed with Texas Tech. I got to give them credit as well for even getting this far because – they they were a team that a lot of people slept on. You know, we had we had. I remember watching on Get Up Sebi one time, where after Texas Tech defeated Michigan, Michigan, uh, Jalen Rose was telling, we had to even had the nerve to ask the question: Are this is this team even that good? Yes, this team is that good. This team is it's great. Yeah, this team is this is a great basketball team. And when they're on, they're on. They just ran into a better a, t- a better team at that time, and it was a back and forth game. It really could have gone either way, but you got to give your hats off to UVA because the run, especially in those last three games, uh, what they had to do against Purdue, what they had to do against, you know, um, um, uh, Texas Tech, and it was it was amazing. It, it was amazing the, the, the continued resiliency that they continued, that they showed game after game after game, and 
that they were the most dominant. They were the most dominant. That dominant team in the tournament, and most dominant dominant team throughout the regular season, and they deserved it. They were continuously motivated, and they they were cutting the nets. They cut the nets on Monday and won that championship in overtime. It was it was it was a great it was a great sign for them. And Charlottesville was going crazy. They were going nuts. It was it was it was a madhouse down there in Charlottesville. On and, and we all know that you get first hand seats, front row seats to Charlottesville because you know you're a, a Virginia native out right. there. You get to see all of the buzz and stuff like that. I, I know the the vibe itself must have been electric. It was electric. You know the school is only forty five minutes away from me, so it's not it's not that far of a drive at all. So. We had to check them out and see what campus was looking like. And trust me, they, they were fired up. The, the clubs were going crazy. Campus was going crazy. Everybody was just excited and couldn't believe what they had witnessed because, you know, they you know they took a lot of scrutiny last year. So they took a lot of scrutiny for that loss. And even though DeAndre Hunter was out last year, they no one expected them to lose in the first round, especially that, that bad the way they did. And, you know, to, to be able to come back and, you know, use that as motivation. They kept majority of the players they had from last year. They all came back and and, and, and continued to strive, strive and, and had a, had a, had a drive like no other. And it, it was amazing to see, man. The campus definitely deserves everything that they got this week. They're still they're still celebrating right now to this day. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So, um, uh, when I look back at this game here, two things that stand out to me. First of all, Chris Beard. I've said I think in, in the last segment that we did. Um, the AD for Texas Tech deserves to give him a, a max deal. Right. He deserves a max extension. Chris Beard in three seasons, look what he's done. He's taken his team to an Elite Eight last year and now to a Final Four appearance, their first, their pro- program's first ever, and a national title appearance, which has never been done in school history. Um, he's, he's, he's a great coach. The team takes the personality of their coach, and I like that. Tough nose, hard, blue collar, tough-minded. They love to play defense. They love to play for one another. That's all predicated off of the persona of Chris Beard. And I, I think that, you know, he deserves a max deal because he's, he's, he's shown in the national state he's going to be here for quite some time. And then you, know, you look at the other side, Tony Bennett, you know, a loaded squad. So I see these two programs not here for fluke. I, I think we're going to be seeing these two teams as one of the more common teams in the tournament in quite some time for years to move on. But um, you, I want to go back to the players here in the game. Matt Mooney was a bucket getter in this, in this tournament. It's a shame that, you know, he didn't win, you know, the, the March Madness tournament player of the player of the tournament, of course, because, you know, Texas Tech lost in that overtime game there. Right. But, you know, you talk about Kyle Guy, you talk about, you know, guys like Owens and, and players like that who had really stepped up. I want to talk about two guys in particular, these two lottery pick players. Jared Culliver, a great, I think that we might be seeing the two best two-way players, the next generation of the two best two-way players in the game, that being Jared Culliver and DeAndre Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, your thoughts on that? I, I've, scouts have told me DeAndre Hunter, his ceiling is like a Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, who's a defensive prowess. He can pretty much play one through four. Versatile. Um, you know, he, his perimeter wingspan is on another stratosphere. Kind of like what Kawhi Leonard is in a modern day age. So I, I, I've heard scouts say that. And then for Jared Culliver as well, who has a 7-3 wingspan as well, who's only 6'7", six, 6'8", six, he u- utilizes that on defenders like guards or forwards as well 
um, to his advantage. I've heard his ceiling is Paul George. So that's really enticing for some of these NBA franchises. Your thoughts on that? DeAndre- maybe, maybe those two guys being the next Kawhi and PG. DeAndre Hunter's Kawhi Leonard comparison is spot on and absolutely on the money. He reminds me of exactly how Kawhi Leonard was when he was at San Diego State. That didn't have the best offensive game. But he can knock down shots when need be. But his defense, right. his defense on the perimeter is absolutely sensational. What he was able to do on both sides of the ball, guarding Texas Tech best player, along with what he was able to do on the offensive side, I mean, it was a stellar performance. He was the MVP of that game. They do not win that national championship game without DeAndre Hunter. Because Jared, Jared Culliver has has been sensational uh, throughout the tournament. He had a couple bad shooting games. Per se, but when it come when it came down to the the last few minutes of the second half, and then when it was crunch time, he would normally he was normally their bucket getter and the one that, that Coach Bill would go to to, to seal to seal the win for them. But in that game, he was it was a struggle for him, and Hunter continuously made it, made it tough on him all game long. It's like one of those things where you're not going to stop Jared Culliver because he's so gifted and so talented and he works so hard, but you can make it tough on him. And in the national championship game, sometimes those shots don't. Um, those, those shots are different than a, than, than, a, than a Sweet 16 shot or a round of 32 shot. That's, that's for a national championship. So you continue to make it tough on them, you might see some of those shots fall off. And that's exactly what DeAndre Hunter did. So that Kawhi Leonard comparison, when he gets to the NBA, his offensive game is only going to get better. He's going to continue Absolutely. to work on his Absolutely. He's going to continue to work on his shot, continue to work on uh, 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 dribble penetration and moves to, to, to get to the basket. But his defense, his defense will always be there because of his size. He's already a mismatch for, for certain players in the league right now. So I definitely believe that. And Jared Culliver as well, even though he had a bad, bad night shooting, he's he they they are very similar. They are very similar. They are in similar. Frame. And, and similar in what they can do on both sides of the ball. So he, he definitely, right. he, I definitely see that Paul George comparison because of his length. He can definitely get uh, get, get a lot of steals. And, you know, we all know the, the type of defender that Paul George is. So, yeah, I, de- right. I definitely see, see, I definitely like And, both, and I see both those, those comparisons too, Mike. Yep. The, the, the reason I brought that up is because the, the scouts that I, I've, I've heard this, this, I'm taking this from Orlando Magic Scouts down here in Orlando. Okay. Uh, we're going to get into the Magic Talks later on <laughs> in other segments here, but they, they they were spot on in, in, in with those comparisons because you look at De, uh, DeAndre Hunter, um, kind of like what you said, he reminds me of a young Kawhi Leonard coming from San Diego State who had to really develop his offensive game. He was, a, his defensive prowess has always been there mm-hmm. coming out of college and then once he got with Pop in that system, that's when you really start to see him flourish and his offensive game really started to develop. I see that same type of player in DeAndre Hunter who's got that mindset. I think he's got the demeanor that he's a hard worker and he's willing to want to work and to be great. I get that same, uh, you know, vibe along with DeAndre Hunter. And then when you look on the other side, I would say Jared Culliver's a more polished and ready prospect in the offensive end rather than DeAndre because, you know, what he can put the ball on the floor, he can facilitate, get shooters open. So I think his offensive game is a little bit more there and alongside with the defense that comes with it where he can really sit down on guards or on forward. And I see the PG comparisons because coming out of Fresno State, Paul George was a gifted scorer and then he also had that elite frame which he used as a defender. So th- those comparisons are dead on. I-, I-, I think we may be seeing the next PG in Kawhi in, in-, in-, in the draft right here. No doubt, man. We- we're definitely seeing the next generation and it's, it's-, it's-, it's exciting because we, are- we know these kids are only going to get better. 
they're only going to get better. The, the, the more comp- the better competition they go up against in the NBA, they're only their ceiling. They haven't even touched their ceiling yet. And it's amazing that we got to see them, these two players, compete at the at the highest level in college basketball. You know, I, I got to give credit to UVA in this in this aspect as well. You know, they got they caught a lot of slack throughout throughout uh, the right. season and, and and last year. You know, religiously throughout the years about. The, the way they went, they went ugly defensively, low scoring and stuff like that. And it's not really, it's not, it's boring. It's not really exciting right. for to watch. Well, this tournament showed that they can, they can win ugly and they can slow the game down for you and, and win ugly and they, and they, and they can definitely have a high scoring game and knock down some shots and make it exciting as well. They can win in so many different ways. And, and what a story! And what a story, Mike. You know, you go from a first round bounce exit from UFBC last year to redemption to right. winning the whole thing, winning the national title. Obviously, a lot of that, you know, has to do with, you know, they had a pick, the chip on their shoulder. DeAndre Hunter, who wasn't played last year, he's back. But, you know, what what a story. I, I don't think in, in I mean, in ever, in, at least in a college game, I've ever seen a story like this. You know, somebody rewrites the script or, or it's like a fairy tale story. That I, that's That's what's most impressive about Tony Bennett's squad this year. No doubt, man. No doubt. And, and, and normally a team that can win multiple different ways is a team that will be hoisting the championship because it's, it's so hard to beat them. You can't you can't make them one-dimensional because they can they, they have so many different styles and UVA proved it this year and, and hats off to the hats off to Coach Bennett and that team. They deserve it. Definitely deserved it there, for sure. And don't go anywhere, folks. If you want to get in any of our segments here. Call us in at 1-877-453-7329. That's 1-877-453-SEBY to chime in on any of the topics that we are getting here. Mike, when we come back, we're going to get to the dandy. It's not the dance. It's not, you know, the NFL playoffs, but it's, in fact, the NBA playoffs. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. We're touching all eight-round matchups, but you're listening to the SEBI Podcast radio show. Streaming only here on WNSC Radio. We're back here on the Sebi Podcast Show. Of course, Sebi here along with Mike Gray as well. Sebi, my brother, we got some NBA playoffs to talk about. What a weekend we had on Saturday, on Saturday and Sunday, as far as the first for game ones in the first round. I mean, I mean, I mean, just, just, just sensational, especially on Saturday. I mean, upset, upset city on Saturday. We had Brooklyn, Brooklyn going into Philly to defeat the 76ers and hand, handily win that game. We had Orlando with the late game upset with the DJ Augustine game winner, defeating Kawhi Leonard and the Toronto Raptors. Uh, uh, the Warriors. The Warriors took care of business against the Los Angeles Clippers, but the San Antonio Spurs, the seven seeded Spurs, went into Denver and defeat and, and defeated and defeated the Nuggets. It was a great weekend, man. What was, what was your what was your take on that? It was a great weekend indeed, Mike. I mean, you look at uh, the irony of it: the road teams on Saturday win, and then on Sunday, I guess. For some reason, they were they must have been watching. They must have been watching all the home teams because they took care of business on Sunday. All home teams won, <laughs> so I guess they got frightened um, for stuff. But um, to me, uh, something that really stands out to me is uh, a lot of these teams that have home court. They must be on alert 
because just because you have home court doesn't guarantee anything. Um, right. and, and we've seen that in, in, in games on Saturday where, you know, the Orlando Magic go against the Toronto Raptors. By the way, folks, I will be in game three and game four down here at the Amway Center um, to yeah. cover the Orlando Magic's postseason run versus the Toronto Raptors. But when you look at that game, Mike, <clears throat> um, I'll start off with the Magic here. What what's something that stood out to me is the length and the activity defensively for Orlando bothered uh, uh, the Toronto Raptors. And, and, yeah. and, here's, and here's why. Um, Kawhi Leonard, as special of a talent he is, I believe he's a top three player in the world. Um, you know, LeBron there, Giannis is probably going to be there ascending. KD and, and LeBron are already there. But Kawhi Leonard is in that discussion. And Aaron Gordon held his own against them. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard, he's going to get his. I mean, he's that talented right. but in making difficult shots. But I saw the length of Aaron Gordon really bother him and make life difficult on some of those shots. Isaac, his length and his size and frame, you saw that um, alongside with Owundu off the bench. And then Michael Carter-Williams as well, 6'6", mm-hmm. but a 7'3 wingspan. Yep. And so the length of Orlando and, and their defensive activity, and, and this is all predicated on Steve Clifford, their coach, really – um, stood out to me as well. And then DJ Augustine, he may not be the biggest guy in the world, but he really did a good job against a miniature guard like Kyle Lowry, who scored zero points. And, and hey, this this is a reoccurring thing again. Kyle Lowry has been non-existent. He's gone yeah. ghost in the playoffs. And he may be a key reason why Kawhi Leonard may not stay if the Toronto Raptors don't have any success in this postseason. So um, I, Orlando... It presents some problems defensively with their, you know, I, I would say with their tactics, but also with their scheme. Because the thing is, is they have bodies that can actually throw to Kawhi Leonard. And that's that's actually scary to have a team that can do that. So that's something that stood out to me. Uh, the Spurs, I, I knew this was going to be uh, an interesting one because you have experience versus youth. Obviously, Jokic, you know, he he's the first guy since LeBron James to have a playoff debut ever with a triple-double. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how special he is. That hasn't been done since 2006 by LeBron. But at the same time, um, he needed help from Jamal Murray and Gary Harrison. You saw guys, you saw the experience of the Spurs really play. I thought that, you know, the Spurs would have the advantage in coaching, obviously, and also the experience if in late-game situations if the game got close. And so uh, that's where I knew that, maybe Mike Malone's team in Denver might struggle. And it really showed it was apparent in game one. So um, that's going to be interesting. I'd like to see what the adjustment that they make in game two uh, for the Nuggets there. And, and then, of course, you know, the Brooklyn Nets. I said in this beginning of this, of, of this uh, run right here, I don't know if you looked at my video yet, Mike, on our show. I said that I think this, this is going seven. Yeah. The Brooklyn Nets offensively present problems because kind of like, you know, when – tournament time in the NCAA in March Madness comes, guard play comes to effect. Well, Brooklyn has guard play everywhere. Karis LaVert off the bench. He had 23 yesterday. Yes. Uh, on Saturday, you have uh, D'Angelo Russell had 26 as a starter. Dinwiddie's capable of scoring 20 to 30 a night. So you look at all of these things and you're like, sheesh. So they present a lot of problems. And then Jared Allen inside, he may not be as skilled as Joel Embiid, but that's a tower that you're not going to really tr- 
be effective with, with that great rim protector. So I think Brooklyn, it, it, that series is going seven. Yeah, your, your thoughts on, on the playoffs thus far? Man, the playoffs, man. I, I love the weekend so far. It's been this been it's been tremendous. It's been nothing but spectacular. I agree with you on Brooklyn. I, I feel like that series right there is going seven. Um, Brooklyn. One thing. One thing about one thing about Brooklyn that I haven't paid attention to was I didn't know Karis LeVert was come come back and play this good. Mm-hmm. Karis LeVert has come back, and after that gruesome leg injury, I thought he was. I thought it was taking a while to get back on the street. Karis LeVert has come back, and you have a combination of him and Spencer Dinwiddie coming off the bench, along with what D'Angelo Russell and, and those boys give you in the starting lineup. This team is scary and special. You're absolutely right. And you and throughout the season, I've noticed every time they play Philly, they seem to be a matchup nightmare for them. Whether mm-hmm. Joe, whether Joel Embiid is in the lineup or not, they seem to be a matchup nightmare. And this is and this is a, I'm gonna bring it up again as far as Philly concerns. I'm gonna bring it up one more time. Until Ben Simmons gets a consistent jump shot, it's going to be tough for Philly. I don't care what the matchup is because, yes, it looks good in the regular season. Yes, the numbers are going to look good in the regular season because it's the regular season and it's more fast-paced and defenses aren't playing as tough. But when, <coughs> excuse me, but in the playoffs, things get tight and it's hard and, it, and, and, and teams uh, strategize against your weaknesses and everybody in the league knows Ben Simmons doesn't have a consistent jump shot. So they're going to continue to lag off of him and stop him from driving to the paint and and force everyone else to beat him. Jimmy Butler had a great game uh, the other day. He, he had did. 30 points, but it was overshadowed. And it, it was null and void because of the ineptitude from everyone else. Joel Embiid. And, that, that, and we, you, that's something that I want to throw you, throw you on this uh, uh, before I cut you off there. Um, you, you look at the Sixers, they're young. But Jimmy Butler's the only guy on that team you could legitimately say that has playoff success. Obviously, his years with the with the Bulls, um, D Rose, and then when Wade came uh, as well, and then obviously you know they didn't win last year in Minnesota, but they won one game against the the Houston Rockets in that first round. So he's gotten some playoff experience and success. But everybody else is relatively young. Right. So uh, I, I think this is where Jimmy Butler may take a leadership role here and, and maybe, you know, kind of galvanize the troops here and say, hey, like, you know, maybe I should take a, you know, Ben Beach to take a pack seat in these playoffs and let me put you guys on my shoulder. So that's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it is. And I, I, to be honest with you, I think that they need to play more through Embiid inside because the more they, they, the more they play inside with Embiid, the more it's going to force double teams inside and then, then you get those open knockdown shooters that he could pass it out to. But they got to play through Embiid first inside. And Joel Embiid took four threes in the first quarter in the first quarter on Saturday. That's just that's just unaccept, unacceptable to me. He's not that he's not he's in the 30 percent as far as three point shooting perspective. Uh, Brooklyn will give him that all game long. I mean, they're not threatened by the three point shot from Joel Embiid. He might make a couple here and there, but it's not going to affect the game. He needs to play inside out consistently. And they need to play through him, and that'll get everybody else open. You're right. Jimmy Butler has proven to be their closer this year. He he can close the deal for them in the fourth quarter when when all is said and done. But throughout the game, in order for them to be consistently successful and get everybody else involved, Joel Embiid has to be playing inside out, and, and for for Philly to be successful. As far as Orlando, you absolutely you're absolutely right. This team is not scared of anyone. This team is ready for the moment. They have been battle tested all season long, and you, it showed this thing. DJ Augustine is a proven vet. He's been in the league for about I want to say eleven years or so, eleven years or so. 
and he and he has been consistent all year long. And this is his moment to shine. Uh, amazing twenty five points hitting that game winner uh, in Toronto in game one. That series will be a long series as well because I love how Orlando plays at home. So that series, that series, in my opinion, could possibly go six or seven as well. Uh, as far as the Golden State Warriors and Golden State Warriors and the Clippers, I feel like I feel like the Clippers are a great basketball team. But right now, this is this is playoff time. And when come when it comes to playoff time, the Golden State, the Golden, it's unfortunate, Mike. I, I think they should start. Yeah, I think they, I think they should start getting the broom ready. I, to be honest, with you, I, I, I'll do it like this. I think they should start getting the broom for both one eight matchups in the East and the West. Because what we saw from the Pistons last right. night, I mean, my goodness, it, 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 it's almost it, it, it was bad. It was bad. Milwaukee, Milwaukee ran ran all over them. Just the, the level of talent is just over, too, too overwhelming. Too overwhelming right now. It was just, it's a bad matchup for them right now, especially with no with no Blake Griffin at all. Uh, it, it was bad. It was bad. So, but I but I definitely feel like the the Clippers the Clippers um they they had a great season, but they're running into the wrong team right now at the wrong time. And in my opinion, Sebi, when it comes to the Spurs and Nuggets, before the game started, I picked the San Antonio Spurs to beat the Denver Nuggets in six games. I feel like they will close it out on their home court in San Antonio in six. They already took home court advantage by stealing the game on the road. And right now, right. and right now, they're looking good so far. They look in that game. They look like the more experienced team. They look like the more poised team, especially down the stretch. So. They they had a big lead. Denver came back in the second half. They closed it out in the end. It was it was it was a solid game from Demar Derozan, and 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 and, and that team responded. The Boston Celtics, the Boston Celtics against the Indiana Pacers. They got, Indiana Pacers got off to a hot start. They were playing physical defense, but and they were knocking down some 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 shots. But my question was, could they can, can they keep it going in the second half? Was it sustainable? sustainable? Right. Yep. And, and because it looked good. Right. But you, but you knew at some point in time, because Boston wasn't playing. Boston was playing bad in the first half as far as turnovers. But their ball movement turnovers that was their Achilles heel. Yeah, their ball movement was consistent, and their ball movement was actually great. They just weren't knocking down shots, and you had to think at some point those shots were going to knock down, and sure did. In that third quarter, they started to break away, and their defense tightened up. They scored eight points. They scored eight points in that third quarter. It it, it was it was absolutely yep. amazing the defense that that, that we saw. From, from the Boston Celtics, Kyrie was getting up in, in, in guys' faces. Al Horford was on the block abusing Thaddeus Young. It was it was an amazing performance. Gordon Hayward actually was getting some buckets. Jason Tatum was knocking down threes consistently in the second half. It, it, they look like the team that we're we're used to, we're accustomed to seeing. But it all starts with their defense. You got to spark off the bench with Rozier and exactly. Morris as Ro- well, Ro- which was Marcus huge. Marcus Morris putting up twenty points off the bench. He actually was the one that started the, the whole. Uh, actually gave them some life in the first half when it looked like they were right. were getting ready to be out. He, of he set the tone early. Right. He's, mm-hmm. When yep. it comes to the playoffs, he's like the heart and soul of the team because he brings that continuous energy and that tenacity game after right. game. So right. uh, when Marcus Morris is playing well, this team is unbeatable. It looks like that game, that series will go at most five games, possibly a sweep, because Indiana just can't score without Oladipo. And but when Bogdanovich is not scoring. It's hard for this team to find shots, and it's it sold in the second half. And, and this is what I've noticed um, uh, teams do is uh, the the Indiana Pacers, they, they stayed relevant in the top three, top four for a while because in the absence of Oladipo, uh, you know, Bogdanovich right. was going off. Well, what teams have figured out is that if you neutralize Bogdanovich, it's a wrap. I mean, everything kind of runs through him because Bogdan is kind of like how the engine goes. So when you neutralize him, you're only gonna have you're gonna have to rely on guys like Miles Turner 
or uh, you know Matthews and, and guys who are streaky players who are capable but are streaky players. And then they figured out that okay, when Bogdanovich is, is off, then it, they run their offense through Sabonis off the bench, who's yeah. huge. And then once you neutralize both of them, that's when they really go in droughts in spurts. And you saw that second half. I mean, Boston tightened the screws defensively, and then Irving. That's oh, special. My Kyrie special. Uh, 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 this guy, it, does he have the greatest handles yeah. you've ever seen? Isaiah Thomas is there. Absolutely. The original Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas. Thomas is in the uh, conversation, uh, but as far as in the league right yeah, Thomas, now, but Rod Strickland, Rod Strickland, Strickland well, which we get to. His godfather. Definitely, no question. But has there any been anybody <laughs> with this talent? But as far as oh, I'm not gonna lie to you, as far as it, it, in the game right now, it's almost not even close. It's it, it's it's special. It's special to see. Steph Curry's Curry is comes nice, close. but I, I think I think Curry's is close because. He just uses it. His yeah. is different, though. He uses it to create his shot uh, so right. he can shoot. Well, Kyrie, he has, he can do that for a shot to create oh, for man. other teammates, to create, to get to the rim. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And he and some ball screens, he kind of, yeah, <laughs> we can't say what we want to say here <laughs> on, on national radio. But, <laughs> but, you know, nevertheless, it was a great and impressive performance. It sure was. And, of course, um, see if they can get moving on forward. Um, here, I, I want to talk about the Rockets okay. and the Jazz. You know how I love these this this Jazz yes. team, um, I really do. And then we'll get into Portland and OKC yes, after. This Jazz team, um, I, I have big hopes on them. I I love this Jazz team. You know, Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, Ingles, Ru- Rubio, Donovan Mitchell, a young Spider Mitch killer. So I, I love this team. Yesterday, you know. Maybe the Rockets are just rounding in the form because defensively, I saw that they really put it on them defensively and and really stifled them. And Quinn Snyder, after the game and his post game uh, interview, said that you know he's uh, the players on his team were looking at two or three defenders every time they dribbled, and, and that was interesting to me. Um, and, and it's interesting, Mike, because this is a Dan Tony squad team. Dan Tony. Squad teams don't really play defense. You think about the Knicks, the Nash years with Stoudemire, high fire, high flying offense, running gun, high tempo. But the, the Rockets are actually playing defense, and James Harden is buying in. You know, you know. I mean, he's he's made best friends with Chris Paul, who's always been an elite defender since coming into right. the league. And I think that himself, he's starting to buy in. You saw him active. You know, his hands active. He actually stood in stance. He, did, he had a defensive stance yesterday, and he was moving his feet. And so I think this is dangerous because we all know what the Houston Rockets are offensively a juggernaut, you know, especially when they're hitting threes, you're pretty much dead. But the, when they put their mind together and say, we want to play defense, I think that could be a scary thought for a lot of teams. Your, your thoughts on their impressive win? They won by 32. Yeah, the, the win was impressive, man. And, and hats, off, hats off to how they played. Uh, they definitely landed the first blow, uh, it, and it was great to see defensively. Uh, yeah, you're right. When they play defense as well as they can shoot threes, even if they have an off night, if they can, if they if they can play defense the way they play defense like that, it's, it's still going to be tough to beat this team, even on their worst day offensively. They they definitely showed up today, and I want to bring up something about Utah that I noticed as well. Uh, it was a, a strategy that they had with Rubio and other players guarding James Harden. They would they would they would almost play behind him or beside him, and, and on that left on that left side. To try to stop the step back three, but the problem with that right. is they don't have the length and the and the and the consistent athleticism 
in order to really disturb Harden in that Rubio is not a consistent threat to Harden on the outside perimeter when it comes to his offensive prowess. You know, you need a team with right. length. We saw Milwaukee have success with this same strategy right. early in the season, but we know how, how lengthy Milwaukee is and how athletic they are that right. can really give you give <laughs> a team problems. full of trees. Right. You know, they, they, team full they of trees. Really, they <laughs> can really give you some problems with that type of strategy. But Utah, it kind of got exposed yesterday because of using the, the strategy works, but you need to so you need the, 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 the represent pieces in order for it, for it to really be successful. And Utah just showed that they, they just don't have those pieces to play and, that and, way. And Mike, it's really hard to play Houston because James Harden, there is no weakness in him. And and not only that, not only that, but uh, he's he's a cerebral individual. Yeah. Obviously, Joe Ingles is the, the assignment. I mean, Quinn Snyder's going to throw his best wing defender at him. That would be Joe Ingles in the starting rotation. Well, what what kind of like what you said with um Rubio, he was doing that as well. But the thing is, is that you don't the, with, although Ingles has the 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 height and, and the wingspan, but when you do that, you give you're giving you know James Harden a clear lane to the basket, and then that's where you know that's where he really makes a living because. You know, you got the lobs to Capella. You got the the when the defense collapsed, the shooters knock down tray balls, and then and that just opens up everything. Um, so and and he's really cerebral. So he 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 will always have a counter for that, and that's what I really like about James Harden. Um, all, all respect. I'm I wouldn't say I'm not the biggest fan of his game, but I I love how intellectual and how cerebral he is as a player because he knows how defense want to contain him and and throw different schemes at him but he'll always have something to counter right. that I, I saw something last night where he saw that Ingles and Rubio were gonna trap him and what he did is he called the high ball screen from Capella really high before the uh, the Jazz can set their half court defense which are really good at he set it up high and then he got the switch with Capella I mean with uh, Gobert on top of the key and then right there come on I mean you're you're pretty much putting your team in a, in a disadvantage. That's not fair. You know, go bear in a high pick and roll against James Harden. I mean, he's, he's got anything he can go to. He can go to the step back. He can go to the lane. Yeah, he can go to <laughs> James Harden. An elite offense. No doubt. Weapon. So I, I, that, that to me is, is what's really interesting because it's going to be – it's hard to neutralize James Harden. It really is. It's, it's, it is hard to neutralize him. And, and I got to give Snyder credit because – the strategy uh, would normally work because I see why he came up with this strategy because, like you said, yes, yes, you do force him to the basket, but guess who Utah has waiting there for him? Rudy Gobert, which is the best paint per, defend, rim, uh, rim defender in the league. So you want him to come to right. Rudy Gobert, but the thing is, when you force him to the paint, you got other guys other guys coming down as well. That's what and I was going to say. The shooters, shooters are going to get open. The board shooters wide yeah. open, Sebi. It's just... It's, it's so yeah. tough. And so that strategy, I don't know if it works for Utah. You might just have to play him straight up and play physical defense and hope he misses some of these step back threes and, and doesn't get to the right. doesn't get to the free throw line as consistently as he does. But and and and, and I credit Utah. You gotta take away right. something. I've always said when James Harden retires, there's two guys in Houston that deserves a statue. That'd be Hakeem and James Harden. That step back three, they need to make a statue outside of the Toyota Center for that. That that specific move right there. And you see Luka Doncic with yeah. too. That's unguardable. When he steps back, whether it's going sideways, because he, he has to sidestep right. too. Uh, the, the man, he, he's in his bag, Mike. I mean, he's in his bag. He's got the sidestep and then the step that. 
the step back. He calls it the step daddy. I mean, there's nothing you could do against that. And what the Jazz have said is that they're not going to let James Harden get to that move. They're going to, so I credit them for that. But you're going to have to make adjustments in game two, which I think, you know, Quinn Snyder, I'm, I rave about him all the time. He's in a great yep. coach. I think he'll make adjustments and figure out another way. You might just have to trap James Harden, as crazy as that sounds, and let Chris Paul do it. But then again, Chris Paul, the Hall of Famer he is. So uh, it's just, it's just, t- it's a tough uh, task for the Jazz to um, keep up with. And I'm interested to see in there. Adjustments on game two. I want to talk about the Jazz and the Blazers here. What, thunder. What's the the, the Thunder Blazers? Yes, the Thunder and the Blazers. Yes. Um, yeah. This was this was another another uh, very good game as well. What stood out to me was how fast and how motivated you could tell Damian Lillard and the Portland Trail Blazers were to start this game. They knocked down seven threes to start the game. They took a 14-point lead to end the first quarter. Uh, they, they were rolling. But, but um, you know, the offense, start, the offense started to slide throughout the uh, – the rest of the game, but it was a, it was a few things for Portland I wanted to bring up. C.J. McCollum seems like he's back and healthy. He came back. He had a, ni- a very nice game, twenty four points uh, to comp- to complement on what the- Damian Lillard was doing offensively. He he was absolutely sensational. He got he got to his mid range. He was knocking down threes. He got to the basket. He was forcing fouls uh, off defenders. He, that floater when he has that floater going, he's almost unstoppable. He has it pretty much down pat. Also, I got to give credit to Enos Cantor. I've been raving all week about the fact that the Portland Trail Blazers are going to miss Yusuf Nurkic in this game because of how dominant Stephen Adams can be. And Stephen Adams came out the gates on fire early in the first quarter with 11 points and seemed like he was just getting whatever he wants with that pick and roll with Russell Westbrook. And I have to give it to Enos Cantor because he was physical with Adams. He was physical with Grant, any any big man that, that the Oklahoma City Thunder threw at him. And he was motivated to go against his former team. He had 20 points and 18 rebounds. And I believe seven or eight of them were offensive rebounds. He was key for them down the stretch in the fourth quarter when they needed to close it out. And it was a great game for Enos Cancer. And, he, and like Damian Lillard said at the end of the game, he was the MVP. Last, the, the yeah. Portland Trail Blazers have lost their last, prior to that yesterday, lost their last 10 playoff games. So when Paul yeah. George hit that three to bring it to a one-point game after they had that big lead, you had to know it was creeping in the back of their minds, and then Damian Lillard comes back off Russell Westbrook's lack. And, and he's a killer, Mike. He's 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 another he's, killer. Yeah, you talk about up. the killers in a game with KD, Kyrie. You got his name is in that is in that. He's discussion special. As well. He's a special elite talent, <laughs> and he he fourteen points in the fourth quarter. He closed this game out for them with a dagger three, getting to the basket at will. I mean, he, the brother's special, man, and 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 uh, Portland deserved this game. As far as Oklahoma City concerned, they started off shooting shooting bad. Paul George, you can see he's clearly not healthy. He said yesterday was the first time he's taken the shot since that game winner against Houston uh, uh, five days ago, five or six days ago. He hadn't even taken a shot. His right, that's how bad his shooting arm was. He, his three point shooting, it seemed like he consistently was bricking all over the place. His it was it was constant. He couldn't make a basket. I want to see. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if that will continue in Game Two. Or if he will, if it will come back, or did he find his rhythm late in that fourth quarter, knocking down a few threes? Did did he catch fire at the right time? And is is that going to carry over the game too, or is he going to continue to um, struggle from the perimeter and find his shot? Because he shot eight for twenty four from the game, and uh, he he was able to get to the basket uh, for the most part. But as far as his outside shooting, it was it was pretty much non existent. And I want to see, uh, I want to see, I want to see how like how he will 
respond to respond to the adversity, respond to the pressure, and I I, I want to see because I I feel like I feel like this series is going seven. I feel like I feel like Portland and OKC could possibly go seven, um, and because I know how motivated the Trailblazers are, and Damian Lillard is not letting his foot off the gas at at all. He's no, he, he will not allow this team to let their foot off the gas at all. And I like the team effort that they got yesterday. Their length, they have a lot of. They, I ain't gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie to you, Sebi. These two teams are very similar. They both play very good defense. They both have a lot of length. You know, we we talked about the length for Oklahoma City with Grant and uh, and, and Paul George and how they play on the perimeter and stuff like that. And Nerlens Noel and these guys. But Portland has some length on their side as well. Uh, Alpha Rukaminu with his with his size and length. With Heartless, Mo Heartless yeah. and what he was able to do against Paul George, and they're just disruptive. They're disruptive. You can you get a hand up and you can disrupt guys. You're not gonna stop guys like Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and these and these guys on, on the offensive side. But you can make it tough on them. And Enos Enos Cannon, those guys, they were making it tough on. He was making it tough on Stephen Adams in the paint. Uh, uh, Zach Lehman, he Zach Lehman, uh, Leonard, Miles Leonard was making it tough inside on the paint. Like Myers, Myers yeah, Leonard, he, right. he was like they, they was their length was a problem for OKC, and you could tell that their their missing shots. Had something to do with that. Zach Collins. Zach Collins. Yeah, his yep. length, his length inside. Seth, <laughs> Seth Curry knocking down some three, some key three point shots coming off the bench. I mean, this, this this team is gritty. This is a gritty basketball team that finds a way to win. They don't always win pretty, but they found a way to win at the end, in the end. And and and, I, and Mike, this is this is another great coaching year by Terry Scott. Yes. Scary Scott doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of credit. I mean, obviously they finished third last year, although they got swept by. Uh, you know the Pelicans. They they were in a third place last year. Terry Scotts is a very underrated coach. Um, in in his system out there in Portland, they've really bought bought into what they want to teach out there in the Great Pacific Northwest. But two things that stood out to me, and um, from this game on, game two on, then the rest of the series, the key matchup I'm gonna look in is Stephen Adams versus Enos Kanter inside. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a key matchup in the series, um, because. Adams has the length and he's athletic enough to guard Enos Kanter, but Enos Kanter is just so wide and he has a big body and knows how to position himself to get rebounds. And he's one of the great offensive rebounders in the right. NBA. And so that's going to be key to contain him off the glass. Another thing that, that was interesting to me in this matchup is obviously, you know, the Blazers getting swept last year. They're playing with house money. They're, they're motivated to rewrite what's been undone last year. They have a lot of mo- motivation with them. But, you know, Westbrook, you know, Westbrook really played well yesterday um, early, but was, you know, careless turnovers late. And in the fourth quarter, it really wasn't there. So, I mean, if Russell Westbrook plays how he can, I thought that the Thunder would win this game. They didn't. This, like you said, now I could potentially see it going six or seven. Russell Westbrook has to play the way that they ha- that they can because, you know, you've got all the talent in the world, PG, Russ, Adams. That should at least get you past as great as a talent that the Blazers are as a team. you got to get past them. But you know what? It's a lot of intriguing um, storylines and headlines to see coming into game two, and we'll all be here for myself and Michael to catch it all. Folks, when we come back, we're going to get into some La La Land Talks. Magic Johnson, Basketball Operations, out. Luke Walton, out. Is there signs of 
mayhem in Los Angeles. We'll get into it. You're listening to the Sebi Podcast Radio Show, streaming only here on WNSC Radio. Hi, I'm Fanny. I'm Cecilia. I'm Joanna. And I'm Alwyn Jr. And we are Precise Tax and Accounting Services in Central Florida. And we would love to give a special thanks to Sebi Podcast Creole for keeping us up to date with everything sports during this busy tax season. Do you find yourself overwhelmed by the changes in our new tax law? Or would you just love to have the peace of mind that comes with dealing with a well-informed professional? If so, reach out to us for any of your tax, accounting, or small business needs and be sure to let us know that SEBI Podcast sent you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Sebi Podcast Show. I'm here with Sebi and I'm Mike Gray, and we have uh, some LA Lakers talk to talk about here. Um, Magic Johnson stepped down from president of basketball operations earlier in the week, and it went. It left sports, the sports world, in a frenzy, and it definitely, uh, it, it it definitely shocked the world and shocked me. It shocked me, Sebi. I, I wasn't expecting it, and I, I'm not gonna lie to you. I was I was uh, continuously looking for accredited sources to make sure this was real. I just I had to make sure this wasn't fake. I, 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 had saw, I had saw one source, but I needed to see more. I needed, because, you know, this is Well, so, if Adrian Wojnarowski says it, you know, it's real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's real. You know what I'm saying? I, I forget what the first source I was, but it wasn't him. So I was waiting for Woj or somebody to say that, and lo and behold, it was real. And to be honest with you, Seppi, the first, my first reaction to it was in shock because I was surprised that Magic Johnson would leave so soon be, uh, because it, it just, uh, Magic isn't the type of dude that you would think that would just give up on a situation so quickly. You know what I mean? You, you, he, just, he isn't the type of dude that, would, that strikes you that would run away from adversity when things get tough. You know, I thought he would stick it out in a while, but the more I did my research on what was going on, the more we started to hear Magic talk and, and, and give his, his side of the story, it's, it's, it's almost clear to tell that it was a, it was a, uh, a lot of friction inside of the front office in the Los Angeles Lakers. It was a lot of he say, she say, and uh, finger pointing. And uh, it was just it was just a lot of um, rumors going around. And it, it, just, it, it seemed like it was, a tum- it, was, it was a toxic relationship inside their front office. And Magic, Magic is the type of he's – he's a smart businessman. And he's a great person. Yep. And he's the type of person that, you know, if, it, like, like he said, his, the one thing I took from his entire uh, interview, his exit interview was I want to go back to being happy and I want to go back to having fun. It's clear that he was not having fun as the president of basketball operations. But, but Mike, did Lakers. he quit? Did he quit on the Lakers? That's 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 the thing I'd like to know because um, obviously, and I'm going to throw this right back at you here uh, to continue, but Matt, I, I, there's, there's this notion out there to the general public, especially the natives out there in California and, and around the world, obviously around the world too, but specifically in Los Angeles because they have a huge fan base. Um, think that Magic quit. Magic is <clears throat> revered as one of the greatest Lakers ever, five-time champion. You know, I mean, probably one of the greatest point guards ever. And he came to Los Angeles as a businessman to change this. This is a, you know, Lakers organization that haven't been in the playoffs in the last five or six seasons. Well, Laker fans aren't accustomed to that. Right. All they know is chips. Right. All they know is championships. So, the glory days weren't there, and he was brought in to do that and bring in, in LeBron. But 
Mike, since he's been at helm, look what has he done in his track meet. He's traded D'Angelo Russell to the Brooklyn Nets for the second overall pick and the 27th right. overall pick. That became Lonzo Ball and, and Kuzma. Obviously, Kuzma panned out okay, but Lonzo Ball, the jury's still on him, and who knows, he may be traded. You, you, Brandon Ingram, he drafted him second overall. He hasn't panned out what he's supposed to be. You had um, Zubak. You let him go to the Clippers. You right. know, you had uh, other key players and, and, and stuff like that. You were you wanted to lure Anthony Davis to Los Angeles. You weren't able to do that. So there's a notion in that, you know, franchise that Magic Johnson has not only failed, but perhaps quit. I mean, they're, they're saying, I mean, and, and I want to bring this, this to you. Has he quit? I know he's saying that, oh, he's not happy. Um, you know, he wants to be happy again, doing what he loves. But we all know this, Mike. Mike, Magic Irving Johnson is a businessman. Right. He is a businessman. He And throughout the course of the season, he's been traveling throughout the games. He's not even there regularly for all 82 games. I think what the Lakers need with Rob Polinka and Jimmy Buss, they need a guy that can come in as a GM and be there full-time and give their 100% dedicated you know, uh, attention to the Los Angeles Lakers to restore order and to make them a championship contender again. With Magic going in and out, getting on private planes as a businessman, traveling to a failing to bringing in key pieces, free agents, marquee free agents, and and the team is is collapsing like that. While LeBron is there in LA, there's a there's a sense that he might have failed and quit on this team. Your thoughts on that? I feel like he did he did he did fail and he absolutely quit on the team. He absolutely <laughs> quit on the team. When when you've only been there for uh, for the short period of time that he did as a as a president of basketball operations, you, you can't really you're not really going to see much change in this short period of time. <clears throat> Excuse me. It takes time to get to the point where you want to be a championship contender in in LA and it wasn't going to happen overnight. You know, so it, so I can see why Laker Nation and, and all over the world, especially the, the the diehard fans out there in Los Angeles, I can see how why they would feel the, the way they feel about him quitting on the team because this was a, a drama-filled season for the Los Angeles Lakers. This this season was filled with drama this way, that way, from from uh the, from the trade deadline to uh, he say she say to the the the, the fact that LeBron injured and they they didn't make the playoffs. It was it was, it was a, a the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers were all over the place this season, and it, it, it's it's terrible timing because he literally he didn't he couldn't even wait to the off season. He he quit on game day, on the day of their last home game in <laughs> That's the Los crazy. Angeles, in Los Angeles. So the timing of it does look wrong. I, I I will always say he quit on the team because because of how how bad it looks and because it looks like you literally ran away from adversity. You literally ran away and and like you said. Traded D'Angelo Russell. Look what D'Angelo Russell was doing now in Brooklyn. Got uh, traded uh, Zubox, who was actually LeBron, one of LeBron's uh, 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 favorite players, and he loved to feed him in the post. Yeah, and he, he could really they score complimented off, They complimented off of each other very well. Look, and, 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 and look at the success he's having at, and with the Clippers across town. Um, but like you said, drafting Alonzo Ball with the number two pick. Jury's out on him. Brandon Ingram, he's been consistent when he's playing. But he, but when he's not, but he's consistently injured every season. So yeah, you're right. The jury's out on him. So you're right. A lot of people think that trading, a lot of trading Julius Randle. Look what he's doing with the Pelicans. Right, Julius Randle. Look what Randall he's doing with the Pelicans. And look, look at the look what he could have done with LeBron James this season. 
Uh, it just look a lot, a lot of analysts, and I've heard a lot of people say that you know he go, he, he was able to get LeBron James. In my opinion, LeBron James was coming to the Los Angeles Lakers whether Magic Johnson was there or not. So, I agree. So, so, so I don't, I don't, I don't put all of that on Magic. I don't, I don't give all, Magic all the praise for getting LeBron James. Um, yes, it looks like he quit on the team, but the reason why I say it goes back to him having fun and being happy is because I don't know what was going on in that front office, and it seems like it was a lot of uh, uh, some people may have been backstabbing Magic in that front office as well. I don't know what was I don't know what the relationship was like with Jeannie Buss as far as this president, and I don't know what the relationship was like with Rob Palenka. You know, it it may have been something that we could have heard heard in the media. It could have been one way, and then inside the office when they actually have to do business, it could have been an entirely different relationship. I don't know what the, what the situation was, but from the outside looking in, I can see I, I can totally respect and see why everybody would say he quit on the team because that's what it looks like. It looks like he literally quit on the team in their toughest season that they've had. In the last few seasons, and with everything that's going on, and I, I agree, he actually absolutely quit on the team. But but where I where I back where I backtrack a little bit is why he quit on the team, why he left. I don't, and that's the uncertainty that we right. That, that's the only uncertainty we don't know, and that's the only reason. But I agree with you, Sebi. He has, when you look at it, he absolutely quit on the team, and he failed us, and he failed in the total totality perspective. As, as the president of basketball operations with the moves that he's made. Yes, yes, he absolutely quit on the team. So when you look at the head coaching uh, vacancy right now, Luke Walton's out, and uh, that was crazy to me. He got fired Thursday, got picked up by the Kings on Friday. Um, Luke Walton must be a great coach. Yeah. <laughs> but never, never, nevertheless, um, you got the Lakers, um, and, and I, I want to throw three names here that's like the hot marquee uh, uh, um, coaching candidates for the Lakers here and you being the GM, you putting your thinking cap here, you being the GM of the Lakers, you've got Jason Kidd, who's got um, you know, he's very interested in this. He, he likes the idea of pairing up with LeBron James and you've got also Tyron Lue, that's a known commodity from their days in Cleveland and Tyron Lue is also a former Laker. He used to play from 1998 to 2001 and then of course Monty Williams, the assistant coach of the Sixers. So your thoughts there um, on, on those three candidates and who would be the best fit? Whew, that's a great question. Um, I feel like the best fit would probably be Tyron Lue out of those three names. I like Monty Williams. Monty Williams, in my opinion, is a close second, a very close second. I wouldn't even be mad if they took Monty Williams over Tyron Lue. But, with, but the reason why I'm going to go with Tyron Lue is because Tyron Lue is somebody that LeBron respects and so someone who actually got a bad rap in Cleveland because he's actually a phenomenal coach. People forget that, you know, uh, when, when David Black was the head coach out there in Cleveland, LeBron and others were, 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 were one of the people, were one of the players that were, va- were, valiant, were rallying for Tyron Lue to be the head coach. Right. During their championship one, they, they, he was one of the guys that the, the Cavaliers actually respected. They listened to. They actually, uh, uh, like I said, respected his opinion. They valued his opinion. They, they valued his wishes, and they they respected his basketball mind and his and his ability. And and when LeBron James is the best player on your team, you need somebody that can be that can be able to coach him and that he can respect as far as his back of basketball IQ and knowledge. And Tyron Lewis is, is that guy. Tyron Lue is, is, is a great coach, and I know he would love to coach for his former for his former team that he used to play for back in the day with Kobe Bryant and Shaq. 
he would love to he would love to coach for the Los Angeles Lakers and be, become the head coach. Um, I like Monty Williams a lot. Monty Williams was one of my was one of my favorite coaches growing watching watching what, what he was able to do. He didn't have as much success growing up he, he, over the years, but you could see that players respect him and players continuously played hard for him. He was just in the Western Conference. It was it was just tough, but I like I like to see what Monty Williams could do, possibly, and um, I like him as the assistant coach over there right now under Doc Rivers. He's done an amazing job. That that whole that entire Clippers staff under <laughs> Brown with the Sixers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Burt Brown says, excuse me. His 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 staff has done an amazing job, and kudos to them. And I would love to see him get a head head coaching job somewhere, possibly with the Lakers. But right now, as far as number one, I would have to go with Tyron Lue. Yeah, and I would agree with you with that. Obviously, Tyron Lute is a champion. We forget this is a guy, although they were down 1-3, they had talent in that team. But Tyron Lue, besides just the talent that he had, situational coaching, yes. he did a phenomenal job coming down 3-1, pushing the right uh, 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 buttons, putting mix and matching the right lineups to go and beat that 73-1 team. Warriors, and of course... You know, with LeBron and with nobody last year, carried them to the finals as well. So uh, part of that is LeBron James. Most of that is LeBron James, but part of that is coaching as well with Tyron Lue. So um, he's, he's great there. I think that um, he would love to pair up with LeBron again. And, and now there'd be expectations because this isn't the Cleveland market. This is the Los Angeles Lakers market, right. the number two rated market in America. Yep. And so the expectations are high. You know, the media and the press out there and the paparazzis carry, uh, apply pressure on your neck. So they, there's going to be pressure as soon as he steps foot at the Staples Center. And so I think that'd be a great fit as well. Um, Jason Kidd would be a, a nice one as well. But um, I, I think Tyron Lue is the man to get the Los Angeles Lakers back to the glory days of the 90s, the 80s, and the early 2000s. And thank you guys for watching and listening here on the Sebi Podcast Radio Show. Myself and Michael Gray and the entire cast here of the Sebi Podcast Show. And we want to say so long from now, inside WNSC Radio. You've missed some of our recordings or some of our episodes? Have no fear. The Sebi Podcast experience is still here. You can check us out at our website at sebipodcast.info. Again, that is sebipodcast.info for any of our audio segments on Spotify and iTunes and some of our streaming visuals on our YouTube website and links there at sebipodcast.info. Some cool merch. If you want to DM us and send us all of your email requests, we'll be sure to get them here on the Sebi Podcast experience. And remember, folks, whether you're listening on air or viewing online, Sebi Podcast is wherever you go, and that is the slogan.